Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. I'm, I'm very excited to be sharing tonight. I have been feeling really, really stirred this week, and I've been praying uh, that God would bring uh, more of His freedom to our lives tonight. And so I just want to invite you, as we come around some Scripture, you are so welcome to say something to God this evening and just ask Him to reveal more of Himself to you, perhaps something that you have not known uh, of Him before, perhaps reveal Himself to you for the very first time, and uh, we can... Let's wait and see what he does or what he says. Uh, So we're going to get straight into the Bible. And our primary passage of text, the place where we are grounding ourselves tonight, is found in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. We'll read it together. And this is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold in order to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant also fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Exact same language that we just heard. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus finishes by saying, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I know, (laughs) yes. Uh, So tonight we are talking about the miracle of forgiveness. The miracle of forgiveness. And, and I know that even me just saying that and reading that scripture is very likely uh, producing a myriad of different emotions in different people in the room tonight. I am sure that there would be some of us in the room that are in the middle of experiencing such intense relational pain that the idea of a command to forgive is just uh, scary or infuriating or overwhelming. I'm sure there are people here who have been hurt and wronged in the worst ways possible. And so the thought of a God who would command forgiveness is maybe quite confusing. For some of us, maybe the concept of forgiveness has been used to dismiss our pain or injustice. I think perhaps for many of us, forgiveness isn't something that we think very much about. And so uh, reading that passage is quite confronting. It's confronting to me. 
The truth is that all of us are presented with little opportunities to forgive every single day. We're all wronged in tiny little ways all of the time. And what we can see here is that forgiveness is no small thing to God. So two thoughts on this. Uh, Firstly, I have been praying and my prayer is that we tonight would be able to face reality properly, not be dismissive of pain at all, whilst holding steadfastly to the gospel truth. At the same time, Jesus is so able to do that. Uh, Sometimes as Christians, we're not, but I think we are misrepresenting our God when we do that. And... uh, I, I really believe that no matter what you are facing tonight, you are, you, there is an invitation to be encouraged and not condemned, to leave hope full and not hopeless because uh, we're preaching Jesus and His way is not just you know, the right way or the moral way. It is truly the most beautiful and compelling way to live. He is always after our good. Um, And secondly, I think it's just helpful for me to establish that I'm also preaching to myself uh, tonight and uh, uh, taking on everything that I'm putting out. I take unforgiveness very seriously in my life, but I'm well aware that there is not zero forgiveness, uh, unforgiveness in my heart. Um, And last time I preached, we actually, we talked about how integrity is not living something perfectly, but wrestling with it faithfully. And so the invitation here to all of us is to engage uh, with the wrestle faithfully fully this evening. So we're going to kind of go on a journey and walk through four um, movements. We're going to uh, set the cultural scene. We are going to talk about why forgiveness. We are going to talk about what about justice. And then we're going to end with how to forgive. Are we ready? Great. Uh, so setting, setting the scene. I, I know I'm a broken record about this. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, I will have to say it again. Life in the modern West, the life that we live, it is radically individualistic. Meaning my life and my actions, they're not necessarily a reflection of my family or my community. They're just a reflection of me, myself and I. Life in the modern West also leans towards being feelings-based rather than duty-based, meaning my life and my actions are less about me leaning into the responsibilities of my life and more about me feeling good as I live my life. And it kind of naturally follows that our culture doesn't particularly rate forgiveness and in fact has a bit of a taste uh, for vengeance. There's just something about our human condition that loves simultaneously knowing that we are right whilst also feeling wronged. And we kind of enjoy nursing that. A common phrase is don't get mad, get even. A common practice is striving for a revenge body where you like try and hurt an ex-partner by working out and looking better than you ever have before. There are so many Reddit threads about revenge. I got lost in rabbit holes this week. I learned this week that there is petty revenge, there is normal revenge, and nuclear revenge is when you get, ex- uh, you get revenge in an extreme way. I never knew. It's not uncommon in our culture to celebrate little moments of refusing to let something go, of taking pride in pettiness, of holding wrongdoing over other people's heads, of cutting off relationships altogether. I heard someone say uh, the Gen Z or Gen Z way to deal with conflict is to hit unfollow under the guise of not every friendship is forever, Uh, which was a little bit of an attack on us, but I do think there is some truth to that. In a secular culture, many people have done away with the idea of God. You see how I snuck myself into Gen Z there? Didn't even notice. 
In a secular culture, many people have done away with the idea of God, which means they've also done away with the idea of the devil and of demons. And then what follows is that we have to demonise people so that we can attribute the evil somewhere. A great example of this is politics, particularly in America. Cancel culture, it fuels this constant battle between good and evil that glorifies the unwillingness to forgive. And our, our culture even pits uh, forgiveness against justice. We'll talk more about that, as if they can't coexist. And more often than not, we want justice, so we throw out forgiveness. Now, I say all of that to say we're just not coming at this passage of Scripture, and in fact, the whole library of Scripture, because this is an essential doctrine, doctrine, forgiveness. We're not coming at this from a neutral cultural standpoint. Most of us have been formed by a culture that nourishes revenge and mocks grace. Forgiveness is seen almost as self-hating, like you don't value yourself if you let things go, and revenge and anger are considered authentic expressions of the self. So whilst forgiveness might be a command of Jesus Christ, it is also decidedly countercultural. I have read a lot of definitions of forgiveness this week. This is my favourite, and this is what we're going to go with just for this message. Uh, by Dr. Gary Brashears, forgiveness is my personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt or to pay them back for their offence. Instead of giving them back the pain they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. It is choosing to bear the cost of the wrongdoing yourself. Or if we're going to use the language from our passage, absorbing the debt of the gold and the silver yourself. This is no small thing. It's very hard. It is difficult. Sometimes it's painful. Even when it's over just a small thing, uh, it can be very difficult. The obstacles to forgiveness are considerable. And that is why every time forgiveness occurs, it is a, mir a miracle. The kingdom of God is breaking forth. And if we are followers of Jesus, this is a non-negotiable part of the deal. So we'll move on. Why forgive? Why should we forgive? We'll break down our text a little bit. I think it'll come up behind me. Um, we can understand the 10,000 bags of gold. If we go back to the original language, do the translations, then do the calculations, uh, the 10,000 bags of gold is a massive sum. Some scholars will say that this is like uh, $1 trillion. Jesus is referring to an infinite, immeasurable debt that cannot be repaid. That's the idea here. So we have this minimum wage worker, this servant, saying, hey, please just give me time. I promise I'll pay you back when there is just no way in the world that this was even remotely possible. But then if we look at the 100 silver coins, do the translating, do the calculating, this comes up to about three months of that servant's wage. So when this guy says, just give me time, I promise I'll pay you back. Yes, it's a lot of money, but it's also perfectly reasonable that he could pay that back over an extended period of time. And yet, for some reason, that is too much to ask of the first servant who has just been spared his immeasurable debt. Can we see ourselves in the story? The king is God. We are the servant. The 10,000 bags of gold is the infinite, completely unpayable debt that we all owe God. He created us. He sustains our life, our every breath. We owe Him all of our love, all of our dependence, all of our obedience, all of our attention, everything. We don't give it to Him as humanity. We reject Him entirely. His response to that is to extend His mercy to us. As it says in 1 Corinthians, we were bought at a price. That was the price of His own life, costly grace that we often take 
for granted and sometimes even abused. And so we read this and we think, how could this servant be so unchanged by that wild forgiveness that was shown to him? And yet, even in the light of the forgiveness that has been extended to us, we proceed to fail to be kind, to be merciful, to be gracious, to be loving, to be forgiving every single day. And so Peter here is asking Jesus, how many times do I give? Is it seven? Is it 77? The idea is if we're still counting, we have missed the point altogether. Mark 11:25 says, and when, this is Jesus again talking, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Tim Keller explains what this means beautifully. He says, it's not that God's forgiveness is merited by ours. It's that to be unforgiving means that we have failed to understand and accept God's unmerited grace ourselves. In Luke 23, 34, when Jesus was on the cross, uh, I'll just read the verse. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They here are his executioners. So Jesus is dying on the cross. He is carrying the full weight of sin, brokenness, shame, injustice in the world, everything on his own back. And uh, his executioners are gambling away his clothing at the foot of the cross. And he forgave them the way that he forgave us. So why should we forgive? Well, firstly, we are commanded to, and so that should be reason uh, enough for us if we are Christians. But we are invited to view that command, not as a cold and detached order from above, but in view of the reality that Jesus is not commanding us to do anything that He did not first do Himself. And in fact, He is not commanding us to do anything that He has not already done for us. He did it for me. He did it for you. So when we choose to stay in the place of unforgiveness, we can go around saying, yes, I'm forgiven, I've been saved by grace, but our lives are betraying the fact that we don't believe that in the deepest core of who we are. And this is, I'm saying this to myself, uh, because we're not able to embody what it looks like when we do believe that it's true in the core of who we are. Forgiven people forgive. And secondly, we forgive because as Ronald Rollheiser says, any pain that we do not transform, we will transmit. Verse 35 of our passage, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is not just an overlooking of the offence. Okay, it's all right, I'll get over it. Let's just try and move on. This is a forgiving from the core of who we are. And when we don't face the reality of our pain or the wrong that has been done to us, it just doesn't evaporate or disappear. It it sinks down somewhere and uh, it rears its head in other places in our lives. It is entirely possible for me to ask God uh, for His forgiveness, but not be transformed by it. And the place that you will be able to see that that is revealed will usually be in my relationships and the way that I respond to other people. We can kind of think of it as comparing a water purifier to an electrical cord. A water purifier will take impure water. It will absorb the impurities into itself and it will produce pure water. But an electrical cord will just pass through whatever current is running through it. And I I think that this is what Pastor Jared is referring to when he talks about how uh, the greatest places of pain in our lives when surrendered to God will become the greatest places of anointing and healing for extended to others. Because God has this incredible ability to transform the very thing that has been used against us in this life into an agent of healing in the world. 
When that happens, that is a miracle. It's beautiful. I think of all of the women who have taken the time to sit with me when I've been in pain, uh, largely because they have done the work with God in their own often much more significant pain. And so Rollheiser says there are four aspects to forgiveness that we have to choose in this life. Firstly, we have to forgive those who hurt us. Secondly, we have to forgive ourselves for not being any better than those who hurt us. Or that just means forgive ourselves for messing up, for not measuring up, for being generally broken and willfully sinful. We must forgive life for being unfair, because it just is. And we must forgive God for the fact that life is unfair. Now, that last one feels blasphemous. Uh, It is not suggesting that God is in any way in need of our forgiveness uh, because He's done anything wrong. Um, That would be ridiculous. What it's acknowledging is that we all have, or at some point in our life, will feel anger or hurt towards God uh, because of life turning out differently to what we thought. I just thought this job, I just thought my marriage, my singleness, my family, my parent, my life, my church would just be different than this. And if we don't face our hurt or anger at God, we will then cut off the only source of true comfort in our lives because that's who He is. So forgiveness is costly. Somebody has to pay the cost. The Christian says, I will pay that cost. But we aren't relying on our willpower or our general skill or our personality. We are drawing on the reservoir of the grace of God who paid the ultimate cost. We are drawing from the fruit of the cross. Okay, what about justice? Uh, Lisa Tekest has this very wild story of forgiving a husband who was unfaithful to her. And uh, I listened to a podcast where she listed all of the reasons why she felt like forgiveness was impossible. So this is what she said. She said, firstly, the other person hasn't said that they're sorry. There's no repentance to be seen here. Then, I don't know if I'm done hurting over this yet. Then, if I forgive this, does it mean I'm saying what happened didn't matter? Because it very much matters. Is forgiveness me betraying my own feelings? Is it me saying that I wasn't really hurt when reality is I was, you know, devastatingly hurt and not just that day, but every single day after and still continuing? What happened is unchangeable. There is no going back to what was. So is that even forgivable? I'm sure some of what she was thinking is relatable this evening. Uh, Cyprian was a third century bishop who wrote a sermon about forgiveness in the context of persecution in the early church. And so there are Christians being persecuted. They have all sorts of physical injuries from that. They are losing people that they love. They're dying. So a lot of pain. Um, Things that in the Western church we just can't even comprehend. And because of this, some of them started to want revenge, as you can imagine. But Cyprian taught them that Christians are firstly to love our enemies and turn the other cheek as Jesus modelled and taught us. But secondly, they are to wait and endure with a strong patience the day of vengeance. His point being that Jesus came the first time as the suffering servant, the son of suffering, we sing about that, and we are called to follow him in this. But in his second coming, he will be the judge to right all wrongs, and we are to wait for that with the hope that gives us endurance. He was teaching them that non-retaliation and love for enemies does not have to happen by by diminishing injustice. We can hold the two at the same time. 
C.S. Lewis said, real forgiveness means looking steadily at the sin, the sin that is without any excuse and seeing it in all its horror, dirt, meanness and malice and nevertheless being reconciled to the man who has done it. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Now there's a difference between excusing and forgiving, right? And we are not commanded to excuse. And sometimes that is a very unhealthy unsafe, unscriptural thing to do. We are called to face and to forgive. And the reality is facing often includes consequences, whether that be natural or legal. Um, Rachel Den Hollander, she's a former gymnast. She like is around speaking and doing stuff these days. And she was uh, assaulted by her physician, her gymnastic physician, Larry Nassar. I will not get into the details of any of that, but um, What is helpful to know is that her coming forward was a catalyst for many, many other women coming forward. And she is a Christian. And so she was really grappling with the theology of forgiveness. And she came to the conclusion that forgiveness and justice, they do in fact coexist. And they actually meet at the cross. They meet at the cross of Jesus Christ. See, when we look at the cross, we can see that the weight and the the evil of sin, it's not excused or diminished because the weight is there and it is incomprehensible. But God chose to take that weight up on, like upon Himself. And so Rachel and her husband wrote this. They said, A banker cannot be said to have forgiven a loan if a third party pays that loan on behalf of another. Right? However, when the banker himself pays the loan on behalf of another, this is both satisfaction of justice and forgiveness in a single stroke. At the cross, the reality of evil and the need for justice is upheld. Either divine punishment will be meted out on the individual who has done the wrong, or it is taken up by God himself. Jesus, when he became a man and on the cross, he set aside power and privilege to act for others, overcoming evil, upholding justice, freeing the enslaved, that's you and me, and restoring creation. So we can, and in the light of Jesus and the cross, we should pursue forgiveness and justice at the same time. As Christians, we hope and we pray and we work for reconciliation. We prayed for that just not long ago. Uh, But sometimes reality is that relationship should not be restored or cannot be restored. And our ultimate hope is in the fact that all creation and our very selves will be restored to completion one day. In this really beautiful and like theologically sound statement, at his trial, Rachel looked at this man and she said, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than you need forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. That's holding forgiveness and justice at the same time. All right, lastly, how to forgive, right? All of that, and we haven't even got to what to do yet. I'll just remind us of our definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is my personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect the moral debt, to pay them back for their offence. Instead of giving them back the pain they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. Human forgiveness is dependent on divine forgiveness. We cannot do this by ourselves and we cannot do it without having been first forgiven. This is the best framework that I could come up with, uh, drawing on the work of many others who know a lot more than I do. Forgiveness is a promise and a process that requires humility and security. 
So forgiveness as a promise. Forgiveness begins with a choice to forgive, a decision to forgive, a promise to forgive. Corrie ten Boom talked about this. She was a uh, German lady who was arrested in Nazi Germany, a concentration camp survivor, because uh, her family were hiding Jews. And after the war, she would share her story. She would preach the gospel. She would travel. And one day she was approached at one of her talks by one of the guards, Nazi guards from one of the camps, but he didn't recognise her. And she writes about her inner turmoil when he wanted to shake her hand. Uh, But she did. And she later wrote, forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Before we feel our forgiveness or even walk out our forgiveness, we must choose our forgiveness. We make a promise. I am forgiving right now in this moment and I will choose to walk out all of the following moments of forgiveness that are going to come by the grace and through the strength of God. Um, Tim Keller says, when we forgive, we're not saying all my anger is gone. We're saying, we're not, uh, when we say, I will remember your sins no more, we're not saying I can't actually recall them. We're saying I'm not going to act on the basis of them. They're not going to control my life. Now, for the small and little daily frustrations, letdowns, miscommunications, slights, we are invited to be mature and leave it at the point of making the promise to forgive. To not then go and dredge petty little things up, to not treat those who give us a genuine apology uh, differently afterwards, to then gossip behind their back. Sometimes forgiveness is a really massive, huge thing, like for Corrie ten Boom, for Rachel and for some of us. But other times it is small and this applies to every single one of us. And our choice to withhold forgiveness in the small things is not excluded from Jesus' command. So why don't we think about our family life, our workplace, the freeway, our serving team at church? What do we do with our irritability? How do we respond to minor inconvenience? Are we as a community cultivating the ability to forgive with God's help? So first, forgiveness is a promise, and sometimes that is all it needs to be. And other times, forgiveness is also a process. This is for the bigger hurts. Once we have made that promise to forgive, that decision to to forgive, we must be okay with admitting that we can sincerely mean things theologically or in our heart that we haven't yet processed emotionally. And that is okay. And sometimes we need a minute or much longer than a minute. And it is okay as long as we stay with our promise. While we stay with our promise, we might feel angry. We might feel sad. We might feel rage. We might feel triggered. Forgiveness looks like labelling that person who has hurt us forgiven every time they come up in our consciousness, even as we are facing and dealing with our own pain. I can tell that I've walked the process of forgiveness all the way through with someone when they come up in my mind and I'm able to just pray a prayer of blessing over them without adding on like a caveat or a dig. So when they come to mind, not saying, right, Lord Jesus, please bless them, bless their life. And also we really just help them get it together and sort it out because they really need that. I know that I have finished my forgiving process when I can just say, right, Lord Jesus, would you bless them? Amen. 
And depending on what we're processing, sometimes we need outside help and we don't need to be afraid of that. Things like therapy and counselling, they are not substitutes for, the forgive, for forgiveness before God. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're useless or irrelevant or ungodly. They can be incredibly helpful tools to serve us along the journey. When we do them both well, there is no need for us to create this false dichotomy between theology and therapy. They can work together for the glory of God, for our healing. So forgiveness is both a promise and a process that takes humility and security. I was just going to say you could join me, but you beat me to it. So humility, we need humility. Humility is our awareness of our own sinfulness. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul, the best Christian who ever lived, really, uh, calls himself the worst of all sinners. We, when we live in an awareness of what God has done for us, when we see and understand our own need for forgiveness, we will not want to stay in the place of unforgiveness toward anyone else. We'll want to move out of it. But on the other hand, we need security. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about the richness that we have in Jesus Christ. When we are secure in the love and forgiveness and the freedom of God, we understand how rich we are. We are so rich that even though other people can hurt us in really significant ways, there's always a limit to that. Nothing anyone can ever do will be able to touch our true identity, the love of God for us, our forgiveness in Him, our wealth in Him. And the more we grow in awareness of this, the more we find joy in our own forgiveness, the more apt we will be at forgiving others. So forgiveness is a promise and a process that requires humility and security. The miracle of forgiveness is this. Firstly, that we are forgiven. We are the servant with a debt that is impossible to pay, being forgiven and having our debt absorbed by the God of the universe in human form. And the miracle of forgiveness is secondly, that over the course of a lifetime, God is seeking to transform who we are in the deepest core of our being, that we would become people whose second nature is to forgive and whose deepest pain has been transformed into an agency of healing in the world. So that's it, I'm done. And in a moment, our Pastor Jordan is going to give us an opportunity to respond to the forgiveness of God in our own lives, perhaps for the very first time. But before that, I know that there will be people here right now who are considering the unforgiveness that they're holding in their hearts. And I know that because I am too, and I have been since I started preparing this message. Um, so I would just like to us to have a moment. I'd invite you to stand and close your eyes if you like. And if there is unforgiveness in your heart that you would like to bring before God, why don't you do that? We'll just have a moment of quiet um, and then I'll pray and then we'll sing. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member, and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.